Welcome to another episode of Auto Catch Up, and uh, we're coming to you live. And by live, I mean this is pre-recorded, so you're enjoying it whenever you can listen to it. Uh, probably on the way to work, cleaning the house, or working on the car. Um, but we're here this week to talk about the news locally, internationally, and the motorsport side. Um, every week and uh, we're glad that you're here to join us and um, to talk through that it's uh, myself Ash and of course Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome back Joel, how are you Hi, going? Ash. Good mate. That's good. Uh, not much has changed in the land of Melbourne uh, at the moment, it's still, Unfortunately still not. the same. Yeah. It's just has started, has started to get slightly warmer which has uh, been nice being home at least you can have doors and stuff open and uh, might be a little bit bit warmer if you're washing cars and stuff but um, beyond that yeah not much has really changed down here where numbers are slowly dropping and starting to be a bit more stable but we're hoping that in the next couple of weeks we'll get low enough and we'll be able to move forward with uh, being able to open up. Yeah, well, that's uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, we've been watching the news, and the numbers have been, you know, the the slow drop, and uh, obviously, travel talk of travel bubbles are now now coming up and, and now happening. So, um, yeah, we say this every week, but we just hope uh, that you'll be able to get onto the roads soon and actually uh, have some recreational driving. Yeah, <laughs> um, hoping, very much hoping so at the moment. Yeah, uh, but look, I've been uh, again uh, lucky enough to be to be in Queensland driving around, and uh, this week I've been driving the Toyota Corolla Ascent Sport, um, which sounds a lot more impressive than I think the name probably leads on, because this is the Ascent Sport is really the entry level model in the Toyota Corolla lineup, and um, we're driving the sedan variant not the hatch and um so it, it shares a lot of similar styling but obviously the the biggest difference is that rather than a hatchback you've got that that sedan rear which does sort of change that that overall design language a little bit um and and sometimes can stand out uh a, a touch but look i've been really blown away by um just how good it is in terms of a, a, a pure commuter car. If you're going from point A to point B and you're not asking too much of it in terms of you don't need amazing performance, you don't – and I mean like sporting performance, not like responsiveness or, or any sort of other thing. I just mean in terms of pure um, motorsport style performance you're not going to get that in this um but you've got a ton of safety f features in a car that's twenty six thousand dollars um and it's available in manual and in a in a cvt and funnily enough the cvt is actually it's it's probably the best cvt i have driven and experienced in a uh, from basically everything that I've driven that has a CVT. It is tuned in a way that it makes it feel like a real automatic. Um, you can feel the ratios change and it just feels a lot more responsive. You get rid of that droning noise that you normally get with a CVT when you do put your foot down and want to accelerate quite hard. Um, 
overall performance with that with that CBT where it can have, you know, it's that infinitely adjustable ratio. You do get to have moments where you can sort of just crawl along in pure silence and it gives you the impression that it's a hybrid, but it's it's not, um, which is great for, for going around car parks or even just getting in and out of the, the garage if you don't want to disturb anyone. It can be sort of whisper quiet um, in, and in and outside of the cabin, which I think is quite cool for a car like this. Um, but it does have your... Uh, it, well, it doesn't have blind spot monitoring but it does have active cruise control your what they call the 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 lane tracing or which is essentially your lane keep assist so it keeps the car in the center of the lane um it has emergency uh in sort of avoid uh, collision avoidance and all the and all sort of these forward looking um safety features that you kind of really come to expect these days you um Fuel economy-wise, it is a, a fairly standard engine, two-liter engine that you don't really expect too much from. But fuel economy is quite uh, quite good. We're getting about seven at the moment. But if you do want Which is to pretty get, good. yeah, it's not it's the non-hybrid as well. Exactly, and um, you can definitely get that figure a lot lower. Um, we've just sort of been caught out. We've had a bit of mixed. It's school holidays up here, so traffic isn't great to get around, and so we're. You know, we've sort of been having a little bit more stop-start traffic more than normal, even pre-COVID. So we're, it's probably not the most accurate sort of looking, you know, sort of glimpse into what the fuel economy is. But again, it's still nothing really to, to be upset about at all. Um, you do have your CarPlay, Android Auto, the air conditioning gets nice and cold, which is perfect for, for everyone that lives in Australia <laughs> throughout um, throughout summer even. Uh, yeah, good, good air con is always uh, critical. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, so... I've I've really enjoyed the time and I could have, you know, I when I booked the car, it's one of those things, you know, there are some cars that you really look forward to, some that you maybe not so much. And this was one more of a, you know, a regular commodity type vehicle. Um, it's in a lot of fleets, government rental cars, all that, all that sort of thing. But um, I've been pleasantly surprised and, and like, I it's kind of refreshing to drive a car where it doesn't try to do too much or it's just well thought out and you can kind of relax a lot more. Um, we've, we've certainly had cars where they are still great cars, but you, it, it can be a little tiring sometimes driving it and you just feel there's so much you have to manage where in this it is just a straightforward drive. Even with the technology built in, it doesn't intrude too much into your overall driving experience which i think is really important and i think it's a nice balance that toyota have struck um and and they've always i think done a quite a good job in the past of keeping things quite simple straightforward and to the point um so yeah i just wish they brought the wagon here yeah <laughs> that's that's true but you know it's even I'm, I'm quite surprised with the boot space we have so it's about 1.4 meters deep um which is quite quite big and um it's obviously better in the sedan than it is in the hatch Absolutely, you do pick up uh, a greater level of storage space in the back because it is just, you know, being a sedan, you do get um, with that longer body, you do get that deeper boot and even a more practical height, you know, a more usable height out of that boot. Normally in a hatch, you're kind of restricted to where the cover is for your rear window and the narrowness of that back part where the back seat, you know, 
comes down. So you do get a lot more usable space in that boot area. The seats do fold down 60-40 as well, which is great. So we, um, we're we doing uh, a bit of work here at home at the moment. And uh, so we needed to buy a 2.8, a, sorry, a 2.4 meter long um, piece of timber, folded down the seats, no worries, came through the center and just came and rested on the on the center armrest, the front seat, um, which was great. I was a little bit nervous going, oh, is this going to, you know, be a problem? Do we need to get another car to do it? But it, it handled it no issues um and it didn't impede on anybody in the car which is also great so yeah it's it's well priced uh toyota of course have a great history with the the servicing costs um and pretty much you shouldn't there's basically you you should never have to lift the the front bonnet to to see what's going on or try and diagnose a problem that's sort of what toyota do um and uh they do it quite well particularly in the corolla and yeah, so I, and it's a car that I would very happily go if I just needed something to go from A to B and want nothing else, um, or even you know to do the school run every now and again if you've got a, a couple of kids, like you will have tons of space. If you've got two older teenagers, maybe you would want a little bit more. You know, you definitely want a bigger car, but if you've got some younger kids, honestly, it's it's perfectly adequate. Um, to get the job done and, and to keep everybody happy at the same time. But look, we've we've had a uh, listener question come in, uh, Joel. This one got sent in to you. So before we jump into to the news, because we've had a couple of interesting things, um, particularly in motorsport and F one. Um, but yeah, so this one is is hunting for for an SUV, Joel. Yeah, it's a sec- the second car in a in a family. What's well, a couple? Um, some friends of mine that are listeners of the show. I um, was talking to him during the week, and uh, he was asking me um, what I thought would what they should buy. It's for his partner. Um, she's currently got a cruise uh, hatch, um, and she was thinking about buying a Tiguan. And he rang me to ask me what I thought, and, and I said, "Well, we can certainly, you know." ask the the panel on the show what they think uh, and what it is. And when I was chatting to him, I had a couple of thoughts and you and I had a quick chat before we started tonight on the show to come up with some ideas of what, you know, what would probably work. Um, as I said, they were looking at a Tiguan. I threw a couple of things uh, at him uh, in terms of options. We we're looking at, you know, he's a bit of a Euro, Euro fan. He, he himself would like to replace his current. They've got a, currently got a small hot hatch as uh, is, is his car, uh, mm-hmm. but he would like a wagon. Um, so he he's looking at, you know, a Skoda at the moment. And I said, well, you know, keep it in the family. You could look at a Karok or a Kamek. Um, I would probably go the Karok being it's a bit more SUV than the Kamek. The Kamek is um, more a wagon. Um, so you just sort of probably don't need to go that way. But the Karok is probably, you know, better suited in, in that respect. And then I also looked at maybe something like a Renault Collius. Their budget's about 30 grand to spend, um, either new or ex demo um and yeah so that's kind of what i threw at them in terms of that um yeah well i think i think you're pretty i think you're pretty on the mark you know when you're looking around thirty thousand dollars you do have a number of options and and even a quick look at online classifieds you know filtering the the demo new vehicles you know you come across a number of of common vehicles so you you have the nissan x trail 
the Mitsubishi Outlander. There are some of the, the models that squeeze into that price point, which is great for a larger SUV. The Renault Collius, as you said, which is the you know the sibling um, or cousin of the, of the X Trail. Uh, even even sneaking, you've got the uh, the Suzuki Vitara. So it's perhaps a little bit too small for what what they're looking for. But in terms of uh, servicing, running cost point of view, um, it is a, a standout from that from that side it has one for money really isn't it yeah it has one in the past the the icq you know um cost of cost of ownership awards in the past um up here in queensland so that is a and and they are surprisingly quite roomy um I've, i've had cars in the past where we've taken you know four blokes to the coast and um everyone's had plenty of room nothing to complain about and being all very comfortable and so if you sort of scale that out to you know a family just starting or you know wanting a you know a runabout car that gives you a little bit more clearance off the road um but still relatively easy to to get in and out of car parks as well because that's a that's a fairly important thing because some of these cars do get quite large and and it is it's not a problem it's more just you know the amount of effort required to you know to get in and out of tight places um and then like you said the the Skoda can make um and Karak as well. So we, we spoke about it before. And um, so even, you know, coming back to the Nissan X-Trail, that is, uh, it's a good, you know, it's relatively okay in terms of car and its offerings. It is feeling a little bit old. And we have talked about on the show not too long ago how that is really that this current generation is on its way out. We already have seen sort of those leaked photos of the updated generation uh, called the Rogue. Um, which which they do call the Rogue in the US. So that we feel is going to be quite a big generational jump and that could be worth waiting for. The Outlander as well is getting long in tooth now. That model has been around for a, a good while, but if you do want that extra size, that is definitely a, a solid option and gives you, I think, um, uh, an ability to stretch out your ownership a little bit longer, particularly with Mitsubishi's warranties, um, which we can talk about a little bit because um, they've made some changes just recently about their warranty coverage. But it is a very, you know, it encourages long use. I think Mitsubishi has said that you, on average, people are holding on to their cars for about seven years. And the Outlander should be able to get you through seven years of growth yeah, in your family. I'd be worried if it, if it couldn't. Yeah, that's right. Um, but then the Renault Collios, like we've driven the Renault Collios not too long ago. And um, I, I think it's kind of safe to say that if we were looking at these these options, the Renault Collios is probably the best mix between something like the Outlander and the Vitara. Um, you do have that great, Renault. Great size in, in terms of it is. it's on the road as well. It's a, it's a great looking car. I think it, it is um, a lot more refined than the X-Trail. I, I love the LED design on the outside. I think the inside, it, it's, it has that European touch done to it. And I think it shows uh, very much so. So if, if those those guys are wanting to remain sort of in that European car world, I think this is a very solid option and you can get some good yeah, deals option. on um, some well-equipped models as well. Um, 
Yeah, and then it's really depending on what they're after in terms of size. Yeah, so the, the Vitara and the Skoda Kamek, if they want to stretch that budget just a little bit, just a couple thousand dollars, you can find one um, very well. But I think um, for me, it would probably be the yeah the the, the Colios um, out of those. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think you're pretty right, Ash. I think uh, I know that in terms of size and, and whatever else, like in, in space moving up from the cruise, and I know that they appreciate the size of what that offered. Uh, I think it's a really good step to go to something like the the Colios. They're waiting for, obviously being here in Victoria, they're waiting for restrictions to mm-hmm. eat so they can get out and drive them. Um, but, yeah, it, for a lot of it's going to be getting in and actually like so much of it these days, you know, we talked before about virtual test drives, but there's nothing like getting behind the wheel and actually taking it for a, for a drive around the block or down the highway to, to see what it's like to drive because there's just mm. little things that you can't pick up in pictures or, you know, little blind spots the way that the, you know, the B or the C pillar might be and um, how the seat feels and what it's like to drive and little things that can instantly put you off or things that you can instantly fall in love with. You know, the, the new interior on the on the Colios um, with that virtual um, CarPlay you know, Android Edward setup uh, is just brilliant in that car, um, you know, and we talked that, you know, the T-Cross is obviously from Volkswagen is another one that's out, but it's probably a little bit on the on the smaller size. But yeah. we talked about the Vitara, how good, how good that is, you know, it's one of those things you might just get in it and love it. And for the price, um, yeah. So I think there's a, there's a couple of yeah. options there for, for a listener to, to go and check out. And uh, I'm sure he and don't be put off either if you look at photos and go, oh, that might be a little bit too small because I think the Suzuki Vitara is the perfect example of yeah. showing how it looks smaller. It is certainly in terms of footprint size smaller, but the how they utilize that interior space is very clever and gives plenty of um, plenty of room. So don't be afraid to look at cars that are that little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, just to if anything, cross it off your list to go, yeah, that's definitely not something we want to to explore. Um, just to find the exact thing, because I, I think a, a few people um, can sometimes get caught up and in, in do a lot of reading online and eliminate things a little, probably a little bit too early yeah. um, in the buying journey and, and don't actually end up looking yeah. at it. And, um, you know, even we've, we've spoken about it like Skoda, for example, a lot of people don't get into the dealership to drive on to experience it to help to just decide even if it's on if it should stay on the shopping list or Mm. be taken off the shopping list until you get in its seat you can spend as much time as you want looking and staring at photos online but until you get in it and walk around it and actually have a look at it i mean yeah I've been doing it recently as well. Like I've been maybe in the market to, to maybe upgrade to something and I've been just spending time in the, obviously in this lockdown because I can't go and look at cars, mm. looking online and just flicking between different listings. One listing will show one thing one way and another listing will show it from a different angle. So yeah. you can kind of build that idea, but until you go and look at it physically and actually check that out and look at the yeah. sizes and see how things look to fit in in it yeah. you just you just can't make that call and that's why exactly. i think that the test driving or going to at least visiting it in a showroom or a dealership at least at least so jump crucial. in sit in the seats move yeah. around sit in the front sit in the back um the you know set the seat up in front of you how you would sit or how your partner would sit 
depending on who's taller, um, and then get that same person to jump behind and, and go, well, you know, is this a usable amount of room if we yeah. do have, you know, a few people in? Because there's certainly um, different cars where I've driven and you go, okay, yeah, this should be great. And then, you know, you whack your head on the way in yeah. to the back seat and, you know, that's never a fun time if you're doing that more often or if even if you are putting kids into the back seat, that can be a bit of a, a bit more annoying um, if you're doing it frequently. So even... Even if you don't want to deal with salespeople, um, you know, just just walk in, have a look, walk around, and then um, just just see if it, you know, see if that particular car should stay on your shopping list. And that's a, a great way just to ensure that you, you end up getting and finding the car that's right for you. And utilize the online reviews, listen to what we're saying, and and just help that be part of that mix of your your decision making process um, because different different people have different things to say they'll like different things um, or not the salesperson will also have their own perspective on certain things but yeah I think in this list um, if it were me I would probably look um, you know the vehicles that we've sort of suggested that would be what would be on the list of things to check out for myself. And then um, having driven, you know, a good chunk of those vehicles with uh, with exception to to the Skoda, I would probably land on something like the Colios, you know, aiming for that thirty-ish thousand dollar price point. But also come up with your list of must-haves, you know, tick the thing mm. that you want it to have. Do you want it to have sunroof? Do you want it to have leather? Do you want it to have CarPlay or, you know, how it works? Or do you want it to have heated seats, you know? Pick that list of stuff that you know that you definitely is a must-have uh, and go from there. And then, like you mm-hmm. said, Ash, make sure you go and sit in it, adjust the seating to suit you, see what it's like with people sitting behind you. You know, if, if you're looking at maybe having kids in the future, um, then, you know, look at how you think it'll be getting in, uh, a child in and out with a baby seat or, you know, uh, um, in and out of the back seat, these these are all the little things that are, are going to mm. be telltales. You know, when my brother-in-law was looking at replacing his current car and we started, when we could still go and look at dealerships, him and I spent a, a morning just wandering through all the dealerships near home yeah. um, and just getting in and seeing, you know, how it works. He was moving seats for his position and then he was getting in the back to see what it was like as a passenger in the back of the car. Um, and we, it was very, it was a very interesting process because we actually ruled out a couple of cars that I thought were going to be perfect for him mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then ended up, you know, picking on something that was probably I thought was going to be a good choice. And, yeah, he's mm-hmm. now, you know, going to consider looking at that as soon yeah. as we're able to get back into dealerships to test drive. And when you've narrowed it down, uh, and this is this is something that I've found quite helpful in the past, is um, once you've narrowed it down to one or two vehicles, um, if you're at the shops, and I know it's a little bit harder now with COVID, but um, if you're at the shops and you see someone pulling up in that car that you're looking at, just ask, hey, do you have a second? Do you, how do you like owning the car? How do you like driving it? Um, because usually the the best um, indication of whether someone, you know, whether a car is great to, to own or any pitfalls that you find out, you know, after owning it for six months or a year or whatever, um, is people that are out and driving them. Um, you, you know, that's, the, that's sort of the best testament to it or they're the biggest yeah. brand ambassadors for it because yeah. they know what it's like. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, and usually you'll find pretty quickly that it's got a generally positive or generally negative um, sort of ownership base because this is also a thing. It's not like a phone where you can easily just, um, you know, you go, oh, I didn't like it. I'll list it on Facebook Marketplace and it would be gone in a day. Um, cars, people, even if they don't like them, they tend to hold on to them um, because you do cop a, a larger amount of depreciation. There's finance tied to there's a lot more complications to, to moving a vehicle. And so people kind of tolerate it for a little bit longer. So yeah, ask someone, don't, you know, they'll, and they'll usually, you know, list off the things they like and don't like pretty quickly for you. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, if you, if that opportunity is there, um, take, take advantage of it. If you can just, just at 1.5 meters away, but I think that's good. If you have any questions um, yourself, uh, cars that you're looking at or things that you'd like us to review, you can send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com and um, we'd love to, to answer them on a future episode. But let's jump into some motorsport news. We've got um, the first leading one has got to do with, uh, with Formula One. It came out um, a couple of days ago. And that's Honda leaving Formula One at the end of the 2021 season. So this is the last season before, um, or the 2021 season is the last season before um, some major regulation changes come in. And um, it then leaves uh, uh, Red Bull and AlphaTauri in a little bit of a tough spot for um, engine supplies, Joel. Well, not really, because <laughs> those that... Uh, though- those who are supplying the least amount of teams have to supply uh, the next option to then supply teams. So Red Bull and Alpha, or the fashion brand, uh, Alpha Centauri, or I can never pronounce it, so uh, they will be forced to deal with their old friends, Renault, because Renault are supplying only themselves at the the moment after McLaren moves to Mercedes next year. Uh, So, yeah, that'll be very interesting. So that relationship will... uh, start to come good come well come good again there's all have to unblock each other on social media (laughs) (laughs) it's been some interesting um memes floating around this week uh, of their relationship starting again so um yeah it's it's going to be that's and that's only if um if red bull can't come to a deal with ferrari or mercedes yeah i I, Um, like as i said to a couple of friends during the week when the news broke i mean if you're red bull or if you're a brand that has an engine uh, I really don't think you want to hand it to Red Bull as their second team because we know what they're like in building cars with a good, uh, with you know, with an engine that's decent. They will go to town with it and do quite mm-hmm. well. Look at um, you know what uh, other teams have done. You know, you look at what McLaren have achieved this year against Renault. So uh, I'd be you know pretty hesitant in terms of you know, someone like Ferrari or whatever, if they turn around yeah. and you're the Ferrari team and you're getting beaten by Red Bull um, with your engine, um, I think the Renault fit is probably a good thing. I mean, they can hopefully, their relationship can can mend and they can try and work together. But the exciting thing that I got out of the news 
from Honda is that Honda are going to give them a new power plant next year and they really want to win the championship next year. So they want to go out in a high, not just that uh, they're, they're pulling out at the end of next year, but they want to go out in a high. They want to win the championship. So they'll be doing everything they can to throw everything at it to try and win the championship next year. So it could be a really interesting um, you know, series to watch next year due to that fact if they're, you know, as competitive as they hope and mm. they can make it to Mercedes. So, you yeah, know, we can only hope that that's what happens. Do you think uh, the the challenge next year will be, you know, how much how much development is Mercedes putting into their car? You know, how much faster can their car get and, and can other teams catch up with the, you know, the limited amount of, you know, the limited window that's available to them to, to maintain development um, due to the cost caps and, you know, pauses due to COVID and things like that? I certainly, I do hope so. Um, and particularly, I think, uh, overall... The, the options are pretty slim because like what you said, I, I can't see Mercedes or even, you know, I can't see Mercedes going, yeah, cool. We're going to give, you know, our number one competitor in Formula One, our same engine. Uh. And I can't see Red Bull at the moment going, cool. We want a Ferrari engine in our car. So I think they're kind of left without much of an option anyway. Yeah. To, you know, and they will be going to Renault, whether they, you know, they wanted to explore another option or, or whether they didn't. I think the natural choice is a Renault engine. And uh, thankfully, the Renault engine is, they seem to be on a cracker of a power plant this year, um, which will carry over to, to next year. Yeah, it's certainly improved for them in terms of, you know, what it's like now. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be an interesting season to watch and just to see um, well, particularly next year, but then, you know, new rules and everything from 2022 as well. So yeah. how does that all work together and, you know, what happens from there? But also uh, makes you wonder how long did Red Bull know about this announcement and um, how does that affect their 2021 car development um, and 2020, oh, sorry, uh, 2022 car development? Well, the word um, is that Renault have known for longer than, um, than, Longer than what we've known, they've right, actually okay. been known for a while that it, that it's been coming. Mm-hmm. Um, they were told early, so they've been obviously already to be preparing for it. Um, I can't remember the specific date that they were told, but they were told ahead of time. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, and it gives Renault another reason to stick around if they have another customer team. Yeah. On there. Well, and how they and how they're planning for next year? Like, you know, all of a sudden we've got a different engine plant uh, that we're going to have to run. You know, in twenty twenty two, where they are with their current planning for next year. Mm. Uh, you know, how what do you need to change, or how do you work that into what's going to happen? So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm not as as fascinating as F one is. I'm glad I'm not working in those senior positions there because it extremely. <laughs> Extremely stressful. Oh yeah, um, you met. But let's jump on to the next bit, and because um, we do have another race, not not this weekend, but next weekend. Or if you're listening to it, the incoming race will be the the Eiffel 
uh, Grand Prix, which is going to be at the Nurburgring, um, which should be fantastic. Mick Schumacher is uh, will be in FP1 along with a, a couple other Formula 2 drivers um, in Ferrari-powered vehicles. So that should be a great... Um, and they're possibly expecting maybe snow because it's going to be pretty cold there. Yeah, and I am pumped i yeah really looking forward to that race i hope the weather is fantastic because imagine these teams will never have you know (laughs) have planned at the start of this year that they might be racing in single digit temperatures um so it should be an interesting thing from power plants because as we most of us will probably know turbos love cold air um that's a you get more power out of them. So, you know, it, it just makes you wonder when they're choosing the engine modes for, for the weather, what performance we're going to see out of them. Are these, is this the weekend they're going to be running the most horsepower out of these engines um, ever or, or what? Unfortunately, we won't strictly ever know, but yeah, it just makes you wonder, is this the peak performance uh, in terms of horsepower that we'll see out of these this season? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, you're right. The cold weather is going to allow for a lot for for the engines and and how they're going to work. And tires will play a big role as well. You know, being able to keep that's heat, right. be able yeah. to keep into them if there's a safety car and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it should be uh, it should be very very interesting um, to watch uh, next weekend. So I wonder with the uh, as well as the the, the sweepers um, to collect any debris if they've got a plow. <laughs> thing on the front <laughs> just in case <laughs> or if they have snow tires you know if the little divots coming out who knows it'd be interesting to <laughs> interesting to see yeah but um what have uh, what has hyundai revealed um i think the elantra tcr so yeah they've built another version of um their tcr car so they've decided to um change the um, I think that's just them keeping current with what their current model range yeah. is like. Uh, and, you know, this new Elantra is now out. Uh, and so they've decided to turn it into a TCR car um, and obviously change up with what they've been doing. Um, so it's basically come from, you know, a, a, a blank sheet a blank sheet of paper. It's already done. They've already been busy testing with it. It's already done 5,000 case of testing um but it you know it's the third version it's basically going to be fill sit alongside the i30n tcr and the veloster in tcr so um yeah it's it's an interesting thing for them to do um in cramp but does that mean we're going to see an elantra n as a as a road car do you think oh i think so i think you'd like to think if they're running this as you know i think it is kind of just uh, for markets that might not get Velosters or, mm. you know, they, they want to change it up. And and I think they're probably, maybe some of their thinking is the success of what the, the slightly bigger sedan style of what the Audi um, TCR cars had success oh, with, yeah, being, being that sedan basis. Um, maybe they've looked at it as being this is an option. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so they reckon that the first customer will get their you know, their chassis before the end of the year. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if one of them comes here. The the I30N TCRs had success here in Australia, and we haven't, unfortunately, now have to have too much racing, unfortunately, with TCR series this year. But yeah, 
you know, depending on if someone, if the team that is currently running the I-30s here decides to move them on, it'd be nice to see one of these Elantras. But yeah, as I said, it's it's obviously based off the the new shape Elantra, and it's a really really good looking car. Um, yes, but you're uh, right. Could this be that we're going to see a uh, um, a road version? You know. Mm. I remain hope so, hopeful, um, particularly with uh, I think the, the the right amount of aggression in this TCR car. Anyway, it kind of from the small thumbnails that I'm looking at right now before I open up the larger image, kind of looks like a, a, a much better proportioned uh, supercar. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, um, but I think it just uh, it works really well with the design of the the Elantra. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty exciting, and um, hopefully we see some more of that that racing series soon. I think it's a it's a great uh, racing series that encourages a lot of privateers into it because of the obviously the price point um, is a lot more manageable than a like say GT3 or anything like that. They can oh, yeah. expect very quickly, and it's really um, really popular overseas in Europe because you know it's a series that has gained because it's a it's an it's a worldwide platform. Um, yeah. It's gathered a lot of um, um, interest overseas in lots of different regions. I'm on the TCR global press release um, email list, and it's interesting that when we had constant racing, it was fascinating because every you know every week there'd be updates of stuff that's. Um, coming out from the different versions that are being run around the world mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's 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 an exciting category um and you know hopefully as i said we'll get to see one of these um elantra tcrs down under yeah it's uh it'd be uh, even if like a racing school just wants to pick one up and uh <laughs> makes it available <laughs> that'd be more than happy um but what about we've got a a champion going to to dakar yeah, so um, I heard the news earlier in the week that um, Sebastian Loeb won't be finishing his contract with Hyundai for the rest of the year for mm-hmm. for rallying, and then the next minute we see that he's announced that he's going to Dakar, but to drive with ProDrive. So he's going to be racing with them um, in their Bahrain Raid Extreme team. Um, part of the two-car lineup um, that alongside um, previous winner Nanny Roma. Um, so yeah, that's it's pretty exciting stuff. You know, Loeb can, has run at Dakar before with Peugeot um, for, for numerous years, um, and you know it's, it's interesting to see. So yeah, it's an interesting looking. Um, the raid extreme cars. <laughs> That's one way to put it. It's a weird um, looking thing. So yeah, it does look a little bit like the extreme e car in in a certain degree. So yeah, um, in an abstract but, way, it also looks like a, a Volkswagen Beetle rally. You know, yeah. like the, but with just um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's. I assume it's fast. Uh, that's all I have. Well, to you say. know, when you know Prodrive is involved, you know it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be an interesting, interesting car. It's going to run a three and a half liter turbocharged petrol engine as well. It's funny because the vehicle itself looks like a EV concept vehicle, mm. doesn't it, for racing? But you know, yeah, I think that's uh, well, they've certainly got the right driver. I think, uh, or yeah. more than more qualified driver <laughs> for that one. Yeah, but it's a very different looking thing. It doesn't look anywhere near as wide as the yeah. Peugeots did previously, or a lot of those that 
series of car, it looks a lot narrower. Um, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the um, the Mitsubishis when they used to run um, that sort of sh- thinner and a taller kind of yes. feel. So yeah, um, yeah, it should be it should be interesting to watch, particularly any time when um, when Loeb's involved. So. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's let's jump onto some local news now. Um, we've got a few key things. The, probably the big headline this week has been that Mitsubishi have overhauled their warranty for new cars, SUVs, Utes, and vans, and um, they're going to a. And I'm going to do it the other way that it that it's not been reported. So. If you want to take your car anywhere and get it serviced, um, you will you will get a five year warranty. So it's kind of technically a reduction in the warranty from from seven years down to five. However, if you want to, if you maintain your servicing with um, a Mitsubishi dealer, you will actually get a ten year warranty, um, which. And they've, and they've outlined as well. So it's not like you're going in and, and you're not going to be knowing what the cost of the service is. They have outlined um, the, the servicing cost for that 10 years or 200,000 kilometers. Um, but I think it, it's a big move in general. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of the uh, you must service at Mitsubishi to, to maintain that. Um, but at the same time, I think it sort of shows that they're willing to stand behind. I think we've capitalised servicing these days. And the other thing is, is looking at the way that a lot of brands uh, work now, you know, they're trying to look after their dealers. They're trying to get yes. the, to keep the business in it. The whole market is getting harder to, to be competitive in, but by keeping you know, people returning to the dealer. Um, look, my car is still serviced by the dealer that I bought it from, um, and it's over ten years old. Uh, and I and I can't, I take it back there because the service is good, and I know I, I get a loan car. Um, well, I did prior to pre-COVID. Who knows what happens now? Um, <laughs> but in terms of just the support and everything else, you know, I've had a couple of issues, and they've always been really good. You know, I couldn't complain. Um, in terms of the dealership support from, from that point of view. I know a lot of people have had issues with dealerships and, and um, but you know, if it, if it's, if it's under warranty, if you take it, change, there's so many dealerships now so close together. If you're not happy with one, you could take it to another. Mm. Um, and if it's under, if it's under, you know, out of warranty, um, then, you know, that that's the thing is that if you want to take it somewhere else, you only have the warranty for five years, then you can, you know, if you want to take it to somewhere else that you can. But if you want to keep taking to the, to the, to the dealership, you get a 10 year warranty. Like that's insane to believe just how good that is. Um, I was really excited when this came out. It was actually the, the release came out with an embargo on it. It actually came out on the last day of September and I was so excited. I wanted to, to report it, but the embargo date was the 1st of October. So you couldn't, actually talk about it because this is you know big news in terms of offering a warranty uh, on a new vehicle um mm. 10 years is is unbelievable like oh, i'd be tempted to go and buy a mitsubishi now because because of that reason because of the support they're giving you like that is just unbelievably good i i do wonder that prompting for them to do that uh what previously what percentage of mitsubishi owners weren't going back to the dealer to get the vehicle service to prompt you know massaging the, sure, the approach a little bit turnover, like people not keeping like they in the press release yeah. talk about how 
you know, people were keeping the cars for a longer period of time. But yeah. if so, it, worry- so they did say people are owning the cars for about seven years, which pretty much aligned with their their initial warranty previously. So, um, or sort of, you know, a little bit further than their previous one. But I think it's a uh, yeah, I'd just, I'd just love to know those, those details behind to know what that decision drive, you know, those drivers for the decision making process was to go, well, you know, here's a couple of conditions. We'll, we'll make you service at the dealer, but you know, we'll, we'll tempt you with that 10 year, um, 10 year warranty, which. That's pretty tempting. Yeah. And the best thing is that it is transferable. So that is, um, so it will become a bit of a, a selling point as well if you do sell it but before that um, before that time is up. And it's probably something where if, two, you know, if you're looking at the, let's say the, the Mitsubishi Outlander before and one says that it's under warranty, you know, two, you know, it's kind of like compare the pair, the, the seven-year-old car, and the seven-year-old car, one has been serviced at Mitsubishi, so it's got three more years of warranty left if you keep servicing at a dealer. Or the other one, which is asking the same money because they've looked at line and said, oh, well, this, you know, similar case, yada, yada, yada. So I'm going to price it the same, but it's only been serviced at, you know, in, at an independent. Um, you can see where the, you know, the, where the buyer will probably lean. Mm. Exactly. Um, it's had full set logbook servicing and it, and it's still got, you know, another five years of warranty. If you're going to mm. turn it over after five years, um, you know, it's it a, does put some pressure on the independents as well. Now, those, those guys who are obviously it's, it's, this is just one make of car, but uh, be Mitsubishi have sort of been a leader in terms of warranty for a long time now. Um, and so I wonder how many others have been doing it. Suzuki have done it here in at least Queensland for a little while now. Um, but yeah, just, uh, just be wondered to see what other manufacturers are eyeing the warranty. And um, if, if but it's also the- like BMW, BMW have been extremely slow with upping their warranty game for a very long time. Even Audi and Mercedes have moved on and um, improved their offering. So there's certain things where I go, oh, um, I wonder if, if, if other brands, who are way at the other end of the spectrum with short warranties will will wake up and, and go, oh, okay, we're not maybe maybe we need to reevaluate our offering and at least improve it a smidge. You know? But the other thing was is the cap price servicing is actually quite reasonable across the life, yes. the life of the vehicle as well. Like I was looking at the majority of the pricing for the servicing for, for across the board of the Mitsubishi models. And it's quite reasonable. You know, some of the, the, the diesel product I think was a bit more expensive. And it, and it includes the utes and vans. So if you want yeah. to go out and buy the express van, now I haven't read the, now it does cover small businesses, but obviously there's certain other commercial uses that it, um, they tend to sort of offer a slightly different warranty thing. But if you're a small business, this, as far as I can tell, um, it does cover you as well. So um, always just double check that uh, with the, but I think that's a great inclusion too, um, if I've read it correctly as well. Because normally yeah. they don't include that. You know, there was a slightly commercial. They they kick it out, but they've included it specifically in this press release. Yeah, exactly. It makes it quite interesting just to for that purpose. You know, if you're a you're a small business owner and stuff like that, it's you know, it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right. Well, another one that's exciting, and I think you're pretty excited, uh, Joel, is the um, the design for the incoming. One is MUX. Has yeah, well, 
after the demon seemed to have slipped out through painting yeah. images. Well, there's some painting images. So look, you know, obviously it's going to be pretty close if if this is what they're saying is going to be the paint. But yeah, I really I really like the look of it in terms of what they were saying. I mean, after the MUX was the sorry the DMAX was released earlier this year, it was interesting to see. We all wondered what it would look like, and uh, I was intrigued to see whether we'd get similar lines. Now, obviously, going from the Ute to the SUV, there's a there's a bit of a difference. You know, we've got that rear three quarter that is going to have a totally different look at it, and I really like it. It's got a little bit of yeah. Hyundai in it, um, a little bit of Ford. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's they're only painting images, so they're pretty hard to to actually tell. But I think the they're on a Suzu are on a winner here, and I think. You know, I think the the big the big telltale tale will be how does it drive, and then what's the interior like, um, and it, you know how's it going to be fitted out. I know that the current one suffers for for the third row. There's you know there's not a lot of room. It's not really comfortable, um, and that. So I'm really intrigued to see what you know it looks like inside. We've mm. seen the outside, but yeah, we can only hope that um, you know the inside's just as good. Yeah, well, uh, I guess it won't be too too long now until we start to see it. We've obviously got the uh, the the Ute out on the road, so I can't yeah I can't imagine it going to be too long until it really officially or even you know if these patent images leaking out will force their hand into um, reveal it a little bit earlier because uh, we've known that to happen in the past. I think with BMW recently with the M3 and M4 pricing, they've been forced to the, the pricing list uh, leaked out and they had to pull the trigger on that one. So, yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to load my next article and it didn't want to play. So, bear with me. Um, but this one's pretty exciting. Uh, it's the, the so the Ford Bronco could be, well, it is coming to Australia and it'll cost you about $90,000. But the Decide that you know the little the little uh, asterisks here is that it it's not Ford bringing it's one of our um one of the importers who are bringing out here and uh, doing the conversion and um if if the demand over there suggests anything I have a feeling we'll see a few of these ones on the road. Yeah, it's interesting. So the guys from um, crossover car crossover. Um, Crossover conversions. I can get that word out of my <laughs> mouth here in Victoria, which are the sister company to Mustang Motorsport uh, Victoria. So they've for, for years have been bringing in cars. They're one of the first guys to convert the current S550 Mustang from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. Right. Uh, and so they, um, there was a story that appeared during the week that they are going to, I mean, like anything, they've just converted the first GT500 Mustang from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. They've been doing Hellcat, the Dodge Challenger, uh, and stuff for the last few years. So, so basically, uh, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. They've been around for a long time in in the conversion market. Um, uh, Craig, the owner there, you know, originally was bringing in Supras back in the day, and then early Mustangs and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, for a long, long period of time, he, you know, was behind bringing in it's been a, a 
been, you know, they brought in, they were the ones that converted most of the Ford GTs uh, when they first came in as well. Right. So the, 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 the company has a long history and they're very good at what they do. If you stuck your head inside a car that had been a left-hand drive and converted to right-hand drive uh, and see, you would never tell. I've sat in one of their um, F-150s that they've done, um, which is, you know, amazing to see the finish and everything once it's finished. But, yeah, they've said that they're going to bring uh, the Bronco in. Um, at the moment, obviously, the demand for them is that's the hardest thing is being able to buy one over there from a dealership. So there'll be a wait before they can bring them in. But they reckon they can probably land one from the base one and have it converted here from starting at around about 90000 moving up depending on what spec and whatever else. So over a hundred, hundred thousand plus. Um, so yeah, they're, you know, it's interesting to see, um, you know, they've now got, they're saying it, um, it's on, on their, uh, website now, uh, that you can, you know, check it out and have a look. Um, they can do it all. It's just a matter of, you know, they've been doing rash stuff as well, um, with the F one fifties, uh, as I said, they did the four GT, you know, they were doing, uh, they can do Raptors. So the Raptor that not our Raptor, but that's based on the range of it, the F one fifty Raptor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're saying that you be able to, to pre-order, um, through them. Um, and depending on how you want to, you know, you want to spec it, um, it'll then cost you, you know, X amount of dollars. So, you know, when the story came out this week, I was quite excited and people were saying, well, you know, why would you do it? You know, it's a lot of money. They're a lot more money than, but it's unique. You know, if you've got the money, you don't want spending it. As I said, you know, even at the base point at 90 grand, every it's worth every cent because of what it is to have this thing, which is so unique. I mean, Ford is obviously not bringing it here because they're not currently going to build it in, in right-hand drive. Um, but, to, you know, and I think that there's a couple of other companies that I know that have done some conversion stuff around Australia. So we talked about the, uh, the Lincoln Navigator that the guys in, yeah. Um, Queensland, I think, are doing. So there may be more companies that offer it, but the fact that the the guys that cross over are already uh, starting to, you know, talking about it and willing to to, to, take, to take orders or, you know, coming soon, they're saying, they'll be able to pre-order. Um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, you know, they're they're listing on their website that you can either order the base or the outer banks. Um, which you know the outer banks has still got that runs both of them run the two point seven liter EcoBoost and both run auto. Um, oh, actually no, they're listing Big Ben, Black Diamond, Wild Track, and Badlands. So they're listing all of them. So, you know, the so base... I guess have placed deposits for each and well, every one. I, I and think and from memory, I think they, they have those. a relationship with a couple of dealers uh, yeah. in the US that they generally buy a lot of their stuff from. That they, but they, as I said, these guys have been doing it for years. They're well-versed in it. Um, the first radio. No, exactly. And for 90 grand, like... To have something like a Bronco here, um, the base comes with a 2.3 litre EcoBoost, not the 2.7. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you, you go the 100 grand, but, you know, it's it'll go anywhere. The, these things have been tested um, and are pretty, are pretty good in terms of what they'll handle off-road. But, yeah, I, I can't wait for the, the guys to land one here and, and start doing, um, doing the conversions. Yeah, well... Um... Well, I, I really hope that we can see one soon. And if I see one out on the road, I'll flag the person down and say, hey, <laughs> I have a 
please. Um, because it'd be very, it's just, you know, like what we were saying before, I just love to see it in person because yeah. photos can only do so much. Um, same with the M3 and M4. There's only so much you can see in the photos at particular angles. And um, it's not until you see it in person where you can really form a strong opinion about it or a well-informed one because it's just something you, you can't get through photos sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, so yeah. But, the lines form and the shapes and everything else yeah. to really get an idea of how it's going to work. That's right. One thing you definitely can't get now um, is <laughs> is the uh, heavily discounted GR Yaris. Um, so the first 1,000 completely sold out in the first seven days, um, far surpassing the, the demand that uh, Mickey and I, when we discussed it, thought. Um, and we're extremely proud to be proven wrong because... It's a vehicle we, you know, we really want to see on the road. And um, so that allocation is sold out. And uh, Toyota did offer a further 100 vehicles at a at a $5,000 discount. So rather than your $10,000 discount, at, at so it was available at $44,950. Um, and I haven't seen any updates, but I'm pretty sure that over this weekend, they'll be all gone. Um, yeah, and, I think so. That's right, and so back up to the regular $49,000 price tag, and um, that will be the most interesting thing to see is um, obviously a lot of those sales that they might have had later on, you know, in the first 12 months, obviously have been brought forward a lot because of that price, pricing discount, and it's also attracted a lot of people who may not have, you know, they might not have ever been in the market for a GR Yaris, um, and yet that ten thousand discount, either for the intention of flipping it or because oh, I guarantee it fits. Heaps of guys out there trying to flip it straight exactly. away, trying to make money off it and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, so you've got those. You've got um, you know the people who might have been hunting for a, a slightly, um, or you know it brought the car under into their budget. You know, all of a sudden was added to the shopping list at that yeah, price point. Ten grand difference in terms of a from a exactly. high point. Well, it's a forty thousand dollar car or a fifty thousand dollar car, and that's mm. a huge jump in that space. Yeah, but so where I've been talking to Toyota, and they haven't worked out the logistics yet for review vehicles, but I am I've, I've added added my name to the wait list of journos <laughs> in the queue waiting to, to book their slot um, when that does become available. So for anybody else hanging out or even those owners who have placed a deposit and eagerly awaiting um, the verdict on whether it is a great car, because the thing is we've only ever looked at stuff on paper and um, we know that you know, the on-paper specs mean a certain amount, but it's usually how does that all work on the road and... <laughs> History says we probably should have a high level of confidence. It's just, you know, we, we just want to know those little quirks. How does it work? How does that whole package come together? And um, the only way we can know is when we get cars, you know, in the hands of people who can sort of share that experience. And Well, Harry Bates bought one. Uh, him and his father, uh, Neil, and brother Lewis all mm-hmm. chipped in and buying one together. So obviously they've got some plans to maybe do some fun stuff with it. I don't know, but um, Harry has driven it and he, there was a video that I saw recently of him talking about just how good 
it was. Uh, it might have actually just been a post with a photo of him driving it. But, um, yeah, he he has driven it and said it's it's great. Um, a lot of people thought he might wait for the Rally Edition, which is the uh, even hotter GR. But he said, no, I can't wait. I've got to have one now. So, obviously, <laughs> yeah, he is a Toyota driver and he does drive the, the Rally version of the Yaris. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see, you know, what it's what it's like. So, yeah, it's good that you put your name down, Ash, and, and be interested to see what, um, you know, the journos think of it. I know that some people... Have some have bought it, um, some journos themselves. So, yeah, it would be an interesting thing to to see and, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later because I know that customer deliveries will be starting soon. Yeah, it's next month, I think, November, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep a, keep a hot eye out for, the, for that one. Um, but an interesting one, next one, Audi Australia um, have made their 100% renewable energy promise. Um, so basically, yeah, they want to become the country's first car company um, to make that commitment. And um, by 21, by 2021, after agreeing to deal with the source, it's energy from the Capital Wind Farm precinct in the ACT. So, yeah, it's um, obviously they've just launched the e-tron, um, and it's the I guess it's the the start of the beginning. I think the start of the, whatever. It's the beginning um, <laughs> of the zero emission sort of transition for for audi but yeah but they're saying but by 2025 audi wants all of its production to be net zero in terms of emissions and aims to reduce the carbon footprint of the audi fleet by 30 percent across the entire life cycle so look i think this is um it's great to see the promise it doesn't really surprise anyone i think Pretty much every company is probably on that pathway. It's just perhaps the the timelines don't fully align. But if um, if the number of hybrids, electric vehicles that we're seeing on the road, even hydrogen vehicles, we can see where the road points and we know exactly where it's going. Um, even at the at the ghost launch when I asked about, because I, I sort of expected a, a hybrid form or some sort of electrification present in the ghost, given, given that it is a, an all new vehicle for them. Um, but they basically they've said that the platform is built with um, with that future in mind, but they won't be going a hybrid at all. They will be making that full jump to to 100% electrification. Yeah, uh, I think that would, that would, that's a logical decision for Rolf yep. to do that. Yep. But in saying, it's interesting that one of the other comments from Honda was that they're trying to be sort of carbon neutral. You know, that's part of what they wanted to do as a brand. Uh, and part of the reason why they're leaving F1, yeah. And they want to do more with hybrids and electric. And it's also reading another point that came out with a little bit of motorsport news this week is that you know IndyCar with their move um, they're trying to move into a, to a hybrid era engine as well um, moving forward in the next couple of years that they will shift their engines into to hybrid format um, and yeah this whole sort of renewable energy thing it, it's you know it's quite interesting again talking about the long way up you know watching the guys with their the bikes and everything else um, and the electric vehicles it's interesting to watch that you know where they're stopping and stuff like that there was somewhere they were they stopped the other day that you know is purely sourcing their um uh if they charge their bikes at one of the um resorts they stopped that and it was all shot uh, used on renewable energy so mm. the water that comes down the mountainside they use turn it into um 
electricity through the motion of the water and then they charge the bikes off that so the the recharging was you know effectively carbon neutral so yeah um it's good to see that audi are going to go down this route and and be buying their energy certificates from the wind farm and and more and more of these wind farms are popping up mm-hmm. um and again something else that i saw in the long run long way around there was another place that was using solar com- in conjunction with wind so that when the, it was sunny they could then pull in um the, the the power for during the day when the panels were out but at night time when there's no sun they were using wind power so you know this this whole ability to be able to live off the grid and, and things like that is is really really interesting I, and it's exciting that you know I think with these new e-trons that that Audi have released, you know, a lot of those people that that are going to buy these, they're not cheap. They're over one hundred and fifty thousand. But people that are buying these cars are probably going to be, you know, that that may be in larger houses that are running solar that have bought a Tesla power wall or something like that, and they can charge it, and it's not going to cost them anything because they're using renewable energy. So hopefully, we'll see some stories that Audi will get involved and and see how people are using this to to reduce their carbon footprint and be more, you know, carbon neutral by. Mm be using renewable energy and using the sun's power to to charge the car um and we talked about it previously with you know the leaf and stuff being able to feed back into the grid and power homes and stuff like that so yeah i'm really excited to see more of this happening and what the future holds for you know electric cars and and what you know, what how people will charge them and use them here yeah. in australia yeah, I think it's uh, and and we are going down that like what we said we are going down that pathway. We're just we're just not there yet. Um, but it's certainly uh, as brands get behind this and and be part of that driver, it will certainly help for that. But time will tell. <laughs> We've had plenty of companies make promises in the past, and um, some have met it, some haven't. But uh, see, so yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. Where that goes, but so this is an interesting one. Um, MG uh, have have you know they're, they're talking about uh, in this Cars Guys article um, when the Cars Guide spoke to the marketing boss for Motor, MG Motors Australia, uh, Danny Lenartic, um, said he was pretty excited about the just revealed MG5, and um, I have to say I'm a, I'm a, I'm liking these images that they're that they're showing off it. it kind of looks a little bit like a in the yellow a little bit like a cla um from a series particularly from the back don't you think yeah it's a good looking thing and there's a talk about it during the week uh some people were unfortunately the the the, the toughest mg is going to have in this market at the moment is uh it's chinese and you know the the feeling of china at the moment is not the best for in a lot of areas but if you take that out of it and people you know there's also a lot of people that have bought mgs and love them um mm-hmm. you know, people have bought zs's and hs's and people that even bought the the mg3 and stuff like that you know they're the biggest brand ambassadors for them and they absolutely love the love the product and promote them so but yeah this is really really cool i mean the mg5 um is obviously smaller than the mg6 that they had here previously um so it's great to see it's a really good looking car um it's got all kinds of different sort of different styling to it different angles you look at it you see different other sort of slight designs um in it um but yeah i i just 
I'm intrigued to see what it sells for if it comes here um, and where it kind of sits into the market. Um, because knowing what the HS is like with, um, you know, the the spec that, that it's got and the tech that it's got in it, I can only imagine how good this MG5 will be with the tech that it's going to have in it. Like it's going to obviously be um, really, really good. Um and it'll be pretty impressive. You know, then the MG are unsure if, if they're going to make a right-hand drive version. I mean, obviously... Yeah, so that's what they're saying. It's it's dependent on other right-hand drive markets and whether demand is there. And, and a little bit of doubt that there is is that um, brands like... Uh, sorry, countries like Thailand, Philippines, and Fiji, um, where they've had a lot of success with, you know, their smaller vehicles. Um, but it is that the demand is slightly different there so that's where they are wanting the more affordable cars that when you look at the the area such as you know that, that corolla segment in which you know the mg5 sits we tend to have uh you know we want a lot more out of the pro out of the price point in terms of safety features and that so we're prepared to spend a little bit more if we're going to get that out of the car and and so the MG5 ticks all of those boxes. So um, in the what they talk about, it does have the the brand's pilot active safety suite, um, as well as a turbo or non-turbo 1.5 liter four-cylinder engine, digital dash, multimedia touchscreen. Um, but yeah, it just it might not fit the you know what buyers are looking for out of an MG in those other markets. And so if it does. If they, if they think it can work in those, they will make a right-hand drive and Australia will be added onto that and will obviously benefit out of it. So I kind of hope that we do see it come, come here. I think MG have found a way. I haven't driven one yet, um, but MG have found a way to really engage with buyers in, in, a, in a really surprising way, um, particularly for a brand like MG, which for outside of motor enthusiasts, I don't think it really engaged with a lot of people. It, it, it was a, a historic mark that was really niche. Yeah, it's but now they've found a way to just make that brand, brand that goes that people kind of know, you know, they have some sort of like a little bit of recognition that might Okay, I've seen that logo around, um, but yeah, have reintroduced it in a different way, and um, yeah, I hope it's it's a good, it's another, it's a, regardless of what you think about the other stuff, I think it's it's always good to have more more competition, um, particularly in these very competitive segments. And that's the thing. It's another. If they do it, it's another model into the into the marketplace for them. Um, it's be an interesting choice that they went something like the five um, as opposed to one of the bigger SUVs um, that they they've been talking about, or even you know that sports coupe that they they've also talked about as well. So I'll be intrigued to see how it goes and whether there's a case to bring it here. But mm -hmm. I think the brand is doing well in a lot of different markets. Um, just when you know the first lot of models are released, the, the interest in them and, and the feedback from a lot of owners, they've been running a couple of campaigns online of late, um, social campaigns, and the number of owners in there that are just are absolutely in love with their car. 
um, no matter what model that they've bought, whether it be a, the MG3 or whether it be a, an HS or a ZS or any of those, they all love them. So they've got mm. nothing. And again, it comes back to being owners are the best brand ambassadors that you can have because they'll talk about their car, they'll tell their friends about it, you know. And I think that's that's good. That's good for for the brand here in Oz. Yeah. Well, um, look, I guess it's one of those things. Again, we'll wait and see uh, what's going on, but remain uh, somewhat somewhat hopeful <laughs> um, for it. And uh, particularly just with adding more and more of that tech, I think is is always welcome as well. But mini, not so mini. Uh, countrymen, <laughs> the urban countrymen, um, pricing and specs have been revealed. So it is what they call, ironically, the uh, largest and most versatile member of the mini range. Uh, and but it, you know, it starts at a pretty aggressive point at forty-four and a half thousand dollars, which for a mini of that kind of caliber seems to be pretty sharp pricing minis do like to get expensive really quickly um we're speaking about this not too long ago um but yeah it definitely looks to be wanting to take up a little bit of market share with just uh the the styling and the aggressiveness of that price point yeah it's uh it's interesting to see that they're going to run a a hybrid version of the countryman as well mm. uh, which will have just under a 10 kilowatt um, battery that'll give range of 50 to 60 Ks, um, which is pretty good uh, for something like that. You know, the ability to, to run that countryman around around the, the streets, um, you know, they say that the average daily commute is 36 Ks. So if you can run that on... Um, uh, pure, on pure, you know, hybrid power, and then you've got for the weekend to go and escape and and whatever else. I think that's um that's pretty good. You know, I exactly. think. Uh, Having driven the Countryman, I'm I'm a big fan of the the Countryman in in that range. It's definitely my favourite. I think in the in the mini range, and the beauty is they do make a, a JCW virtual version as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know that comes in at about sixty seven grand. Um, you know, it's got Harman Kardon adaptive suspension, 19-inch wheels, um, leather, and the head-up display. Uh, that's over the Pure. Again, interesting that we're seeing that Pure branding moving into Mini as well as BMW, um, yeah. and that they're even though the Pure in the Countryman still has, you know, the all four system, um, Steptronic sports transmission, you know, the the driving mode. The driving modes in the Mini are really quite good, particularly with the ability to switch between sport, mid, and, and the green. Uh, the green's quite good for economy, particularly in the, the Mini E as well. Um, eight inch, 18 inch, but they run run flats, which is interesting. Um, so I'm intrigued to see whether, I'm guessing they obviously run, um, probably doesn't run any kind of spare or anything because they're running run no. flats. Yeah, which is you know it, it's enough to get you to the uh, the tire shop or, or the dealer, um, and and look if you're mostly urban and you're not really going too far out of town, it's not really that much of a drama. It definitely is uh, an inconvenience, <laughs> and I think that's uh, particularly Mick would would definitely lean into um, as a point. But 
in terms of uh, there's there's certainly benefits to having run flats um, from a, from a safety point of view. There's obviously a lot of downsides, but yeah, it, it's probably for for the context of which this car people use, I think it it fits in. Mm. It sort of it, it scrapes it scrapes in with a pass. Yeah, and the run flats are good. Uh, Twelve hundred liters of cargo space and two twenty five kilowatts of power in the all four system in the all four wheel drive system. Um, yeah, I'd be keen to to check one out. I really like the. Um, I was talking to to BMW and Mini just before the uh, the last lockdown, so I hope to maybe get into one of these at some stage. After um, there's no mention though of the talks about obviously. Um, the CarPlay integration and stuff like that, but there's no mention whether or not they're brought in the wireless um, mm. CarPlay. It just talks about CarPlay. Look, if it's not wireless, it's not the end of the world. It's got CarPlay. That's the main the main thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it now um, at the spec list and. It's not clear. We'll have to we'll clarify this uh, yep. for the listeners because it does say wireless phone charging and Apple CarPlay. Now, normally BMW have always separated and said it's wireless Apple CarPlay. Um, so it's a little bit. Mm, I'm guessing yours. Probably no, but it, it, these days, I mean, that's a, that's a new cool feature. Like, you know, when we had CarPlay, CarPlay was a novelty in some cars. Most cars have got CarPlay. Wireless CarPlay is one of those things that's a bit of a, <laughs> it's a nicer thing to have. It's not a must-have. But, um, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see uh, whether it's something that they maybe bring in, you know, in the next generation. Yeah, uh, look, I, I'm just having a look, and I think it is wireless CarPlay. So right. there you go. So you'll get, so you get the biggest benefit out of um, out of having that wireless charger as well, because that's uh, that's it's always been my bugbear with other models, particularly Hyundai, where they've got the wireless charger for your phone, and um, CarPlay or Android Auto isn't wireless yet in their infotainment system and it just I can't help but think but ah but I still need the cable if I want to utilize all of the features and it's just a little bit of a bugbear when they don't follow through all the way hopefully that you know in the near future that changes but um but yeah but from what I can tell I just did a double check on some another site and um it does say that yeah CarPlay is wireless so that's that's good all right. Before we jump into the last few international pieces of news, did you did you have a look at Bring a Trailer this week, Joel? Yeah, there were good, some really um, different choices this week. Yeah, um, some very very interesting stuff. I actually instead of going through my full run of six, I actually narrowed it down to three. I was very oh, okay. very very strong this week, um, mm-hmm. but all all three are kind of a eclectic um, choices. I don't know. Yeah. I think I know what my favourite is. So okay. Um, so honourable mention is a '76 Ford Bronco soft top. Uh, mm, nice. Yeah, it's quite nice. 302 V8 in it, three-speed auto. Um, perfect car to have for six months of the year when it's nice weather. <laughs> and then mm. for the, the rest <laughs> of the year, you'd probably stick it in the garage and not use it. So um, that's got six days left and is at 37 grand. Um, the other interesting one that I found was an 82 Oldsmobile Cutlass Tex Racing Bandit IMSA slash NASCAR race car. Um, this thing's really, really cool looking. It's green and white two-tone. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good looking thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's the, the the guy that built the gearbox for it built the car 
the gearboxes for Dale Earhart Senior when when he was racing. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit different. It's uh, got uh, four days left, and it's at 15, 15 grand. Um, but it was pretty cool. But my pick this week, there was one a couple of weeks ago, and I, I think I, there was too many other choices that week. But this is a nineteen ninety three GMC Typhoon. So early sort of hot um back when cool car names were cool yeah it's a <laughs> three liter v6 four speed auto um black with lots of glass in the rear it's there is these things are a cool looking thing it's got the turbo style factory 16 inch wheels uh leather interior um this thing's cool uh i really like these you know gmc it's kind of got a bit of a it's kind of like a baby brother to the to the 18 van it's kind of got mm-hmm. that kind of feel about it right my biggest bugbear is the, the main lead photo. It's got with someone that doesn't know how to use a circular polarizer because the windscreen and the and the hood is blown out really badly. So that's my biggest bugbear. But there are more photos buried in it. But it's currently at uh, twenty five grand. Mm-hmm. We did three days uh, left uh, in the auction. So I've just thrown it in now. Um, Skype chat. Uh, to, so you can have a look at it, but yeah, it's um, it's only done thirty thousand miles. So obviously, someone's bought it and really babied it and looked after it. It's got full super clean. Track. I love it. Yeah, clean Carfax report, which is what they use in the US to to, to show the history of it. So it's got um, they've still got the original window sticker from it too, which mm-hmm. is a which is a big thing in the US. They like to show those off. Um, it's on its third owner now. First guy owned it for twenty years. Second owner owned it for eleven months. And the third owner uh, has had it for two, just under three years. But it lived in Alaska for a period of time. So um, weird to um, that the owner uh, went from it went from Pennsylvania to Alaska, and then it's now in Nebraska. So um, it's yeah, it's interesting to see um, yeah what it is. But yeah, this would be cool. I'm intrigued to see what it sells for. Yeah, absolutely. What did, what did you find, Ash? Ah, oh, look, um, one which I. Had to to stop myself from laughing. Um, where did I link? Oh, there we go. So let's just say the comment that's on it goes. So this is my runner-up. It goes uh, for those youth looking for their first car. This is not the one for you. Just <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, but it's probably not going to be exactly what you think it is. It is from 1907. Oh wow. Um, it is an international harvester auto auto buggy. Um, it, it it's straight out of the Inter- Indianapolis Motor Speedway, um, uh, the IMS Museum, um, and yeah, it was just uh, a cool piece of history. I think I think that's all you can really kind of say about it. Is a uh, a carriage with a motor on it, um, and that's <laughs> and that's yeah, all they were. But it's a that's right. It's just, but it's amazing to see um, how quickly cars sort of became, you know, recognizable shapes that we we know today. Given that this is 1907, and then you start to think about yeah. the Model T, you know, that's, and just that's how cool that it's that early American. It's from the International Harvester, which is that you know what the what became the Scouts and stuff like that. So yeah. it's quite interesting to see 
that brand going back to that period of time, um, building cars like that to then what they what they became known for, you know, further on in um, uh, further on in in the the period of their life cycle. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it feels like a steal. It's only eleven thousand dollars at the moment, um, with two days to go. So, um, I think some somebody who's going to get a, a nice little steal for that one and piece of history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my main event though, this is a car that I've been in love with for a long time. Uh, not when it first came out, but um, I've certainly warmed it, warmed up to it over over time. So it's a six point three liter V twelve. If that you can sort of start, to, I'll describe some more features and um, start to to guess what you think it is. Um, it's got a suspensionless system. Carbon ceramic brakes. Uh, it has a sports exhaust system. Good thing for, for those buying a clean Carfax report. <laughs> yellow in the badge. And um, it comfortably seats four people. What do you think it is, Joel? I don't know. There was a couple of things that caught my eye that were interesting uh, things, but there was just so much tonight that I um I had to kind of speed through to to not get bogged down picking up you know, <laughs> twenty different things. So I don't know. You've got me, Ash. What was it? Okay, so it's a 2013 Ferrari FF. Ah, yes, of course. I should have known when you said yellow and the badge and can carry four people. Should have been a giveaway. But no, it's um it's one of those cars where. I think um, they really nailed the design. They kind of went like that clown shoe. Uh, look, it's got the V12. It's naturally aspirated. Um, revs out to 9,000 RPM. Just love with it. And it's pra- and it's a practical car. Chris Harris uh, famously fits a, when he had one on, on loan, he was able to put his mountain bike, a dirty mountain bike um, <laughs> in the back and, and go, look, I can go mountain biking and then, you know, drive my Ferrari home. Um, so yeah, I huge fan. It's at $95,000 already. Um, in, and it's got six days left. And um, as one, Comment place. There's there's actually not a lot of comments on this one. It just goes. The first comment that came up was after the bids had already shot up from twenty thousand all the way up to eighty eight thousand dollars, and it goes. Apparently, only business in here. Zero comments and bids only. And I think um, I think it's just because people know that the FF has become um, kind of like that 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 Ferrari that practical people. You know, everyday people. You can drive it daily yeah. very very easily. Um, and and fit more than just one other person in the car. And you can take it to the track if you want. That's the beauty of it. Is that that's right. To be able to to do that. And I've seen owners do that. You know, they use it as a a daily to run the family around, and then take it to the track. And it's it's you know perfectly capable for that reason. Yeah, and um, you know it, it's designed to be driven in all weather. You know, it is a primary rear wheel drive with the ability to yeah, when the traction gets lost, it picks up the the front front wheels it's in a great color combination um with that that silver and black on the inside i think it looks great and um the comments just really the ones that are there do 
really, I think, sell just uh, how good it is. One goes, just did eight hours in my FF yesterday. These are fantastic long-distance cruises. And if you think about, you know, we're doing a lot less international travel at the moment. We're doing a lot more road trips. Uh, this could be a good car to be doing a yeah. few road trips. Perfect, perfect road trip. Didn't <laughs> yeah. see where was it located? Uh, that is a good question. Connecticut. Ah, Connecticut. Yeah. It's the, it's the perfect car for Connecticut. That is the, the perfect market for that. So that Connecticut's on the outside of New York. So it'd be uh, the perfect car. Oh, came from Miller Motor Cars in Greenwich. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty sure, and if anyone's listening wants to correct me, they can, but I'm pretty sure Miller Motorsports was where... Um, Matt from the Smoking Tire studies career washing cars. Oh, okay. Sure. There you go. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're the biggest. Um, they are the biggest sort of uh, exotic car dealer in Greenwich around Connecticut. So, um, but yeah, that'd be the this this car is the epitome of being able to to like we said, you literally drive it into New York to the, to the, your office and you, and then you drive home mm. of a day of it and then you run the family around and then you could take it to the track or take it back up the up through the country roads of a, of a weekend to have some fun. Um, perfect thing to be able to do those do those those yeah. miles or sit in traffic if you're uh, driving into New York. Mm-hmm. And it's only got fourteen thousand miles as well. So yeah, yeah. Love it. <laughs> I wish I could have one right now. <laughs> uh, but no. All right. So we've got a, we've got a few international pieces. Um, so the first one, uh, the GT350, Joel. Yeah. Sad news that uh, started to appear during the week. Um, I haven't seen anything official yet, but um, the word is... Uh, that Ford will be discontinuing the GT350 at the end of this year. Um, The article I'm referring to is one from Auto Week, and they've updated to say that Ford will be building their 2020 GT350 through till November. Um, The GT350 was the hot first hot version to come out from Ford um, in association with Shelby, but to be built on Ford's production line as opposed Mm -hmm. to being built and then modified by Shelby. But the beauty of this car, and if you have not heard the the noise that this thing makes, the 526 uh, horsepower, five-point litre, and it's not actually mentioned in this, but it actually uh, in this sort of first build, but it talks about in the next line that it's a flat plane crankshaft. Now, that's something that Ferrari have done for the last few years in some of their V8s, mm-hmm. but the noise these things make is absolutely just orgasmic. Um, and it's also like, the flat plane is what uh, apparently GM are playing with for the for the Corvette yeah, as well. Yeah, we're hoping that the, you know, yeah. the flat plane will live on in a, in a, in a US <laughs> right. car, but from a different brand. That's right. Um, so yeah, they're, they're saying that they're going to. It's going to end. Which, you know, it it had a good run. Like it's been around for a while. Like it it produced the GT three hundred and fifty and the GT three hundred and fifty R, which is the the track edition. Um, it's going to go out in a heritage um, uh, edition. They're going to to release it in, which you know for Shelby is white with blue stripes. Uh, that's the traditional um, mm-hmm. Shelby look for the the GT three hundred and fifty and the in in those famous colours. So yeah, it's it's a shame that um, it will be uh, it will be disappearing. Um, whether or not do they say why? I just think just, that uh... I think with everything else that's been happening and and that I think the the market has probably cooled a little bit mm-hmm. because you you now obviously have. Um, 
You know, we had the Bullet, we've had the the Mark One. You've got the GT five hundred now, so maybe you know the now that the five hundred's out, less people are interested in the GT three fifty. So you know, maybe that's why it's starting to lose a bit of prog. You know, it's it's managed to to lose the interest in terms of sales, and sales are cooling down, um, and which kind of makes sense. You know, you want to you want it to go out on a high, um, and I think. That's the thing is it's it's been on a on a massive high. It's done it's done well uh, in the market, but maybe it is time for it to to to, to disappear off now that its big brother is the five hundreds out. Um, and you know the beauty that you can you can buy the the three fifty in manual um, mm. where the the five hundred is only in in auto. But yeah, look, it, it's one of those things. It, it's it, it's sad that that it is. Um, you know, it, it's only uh, where is it? I just had it a second ago. So it's five twenty six horsepower in the GT five hundred is um, seven hundred odd horsepower. So you know, power wise, um, you know, it, it's just insane. Yeah, but I do think <laughs> they did a they did a poll on the site, you know, asking people is Ford right to discontinue the Shelby, um, and ninety two percent people said no, not at all. Ford mm. is throwing away gold here. But you know they obviously have a reason for it. Maybe they're yeah. developing a new one to come with the the replacement for the S five fifty in a couple of years' time. Look, who knows? We, we just don't know what they're planning. But yeah, uh, it's sad to see it go because it was the you know it was the holy grail of Mustangs for for a period of time. But um, yeah, it's good to see that it's going out with the the heritage edition um, as a as Seems a farewell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's. Uh, I'd love to see. I, I think I've seen a couple of um, GT350s down or up here in uh, in Brisbane getting around. It's always a you know, look closely just... because you can buy every part, external part for them. Mm. You can buy the badging, you can buy the front hood, you can buy the the front end, you can buy the rear end of them. So really, the only but we way... do have we do have before Max up here. So I think that yeah. is the probably the saving grace that it might be legitimate. But yeah, yeah, you are right. Way too way too many people in Melbourne have bought all the parts for it and made their <laughs> standard Mustang look like a GT three fifty and even put badges on it. And that I think that's just absolute sacrilege to to this awesome vehicle. There is one here in Victoria. I know that Mustang Motorsport did bring one in and they did convert one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that is a blue one. Um, whether that that is still here or whether it's sold off to another state, um, but I know there's definitely one here. But the the engine noise alone, like we heard in that Corvette, is just so memorable yeah. with that yeah. flight plane. Yeah, well, it's uh, uh, well. <laughs> We'll uh, light a candle in uh, in memorial of <laughs> the 350. Um, but let's let's go to the absolute opposite of this, and um, we'll go 100% electric uh, with what they're calling the Nissan Re-Leaf, um, which is a working prototype based on the Nissan Leaf. Um, but it's the Basically, it's a it's like an emergency vehicle, Joel. Yeah, it's um, a, it's a it's a hundred percent electric. Obviously, because it's a leaf. Emergency response vehicle concept um, provides mobile power supply following natural disasters and extreme weather elements. This is really really cool. Someone should do this to a leaf here in Oz. Um, I've got a friend in Sydney that has a leaf. I must ask her whether she still has it because this would be cool for her to do to hers. It literally looks like there's a group that I'm belong to on Facebook that's um uh it's all about you know um turning 
using your um, any car you have into to, to lifted Safari, looking yeah. like a Porsche Safari 959 yep. back from yep. the Dakar Rally. But these things had that kind of uh, um, mod done Treatment. to it. Mm. Being lifted, uh, it's got bigger wheels and tyres, like off-road tyres. Um, it's got the coolest setup in the back with a massive monitor um, setup and everything else. Um, yeah. It's got the ability to run, you know, emergency lighting and the press release picture is really, really cool. It's got mm. great setup. Um, the guy's flying a drone, obviously doing some inspections of a site after when there's been a, some kind of natural disaster. But yeah, this is just brilliant. I think it's well done. This and this is really, really cool mm. thing to, to build. Um, and it just shows, again, we've talked about the ability for these cars that have this onboard battery system to then be used as the ability to power. You know, we're talking about the, the new F-150 that's come out the hybrid that's going to have a, or it's going to have a generator built into it. But a friend of mine did some research at Geno in the US. It could be available, even possible to charge a marquee. So, yeah. you know, this technology of being able to um, have these hybrid built vehicles that have some form of hybrid power plant in them or battery system to then be able to use this battery system to help others, you know, return power to the grid and stuff like that. It's just fascinating. Again, yeah. I keep bringing it up, but it's just so current with everything at the moment. The guys with the long way, you know, up, they're using four vehicles that are electric, two bikes and two cars, including the Rivians, but there's no way to really charge them without going to mains outlet. So even the setup they had with a, uh, a Nissan, uh, a Mercedes Sprinter that has a massive solar panel still can't put out enough power to charge these vehicles. So yeah. when someone can figure out a way to run a portable system that can charge electric cars and bikes and things like that um you know it's it's going to be a it's going to be a game changer and the fact that nissan have gone down this um this route and calling creating this relief which i think is really really Mm. cool um yeah you know it's it's interesting that that this car has the ability to get out there and help so this is an interesting spec so example the 230 volt power consumption um it can run an electric jackhammer for 24 hours, pressure, a pressure ventilized fan for 24 hours, a 10-liter soup kettle for 24 hours, an intensive care medical ventilator for 24 hours, and a 100-watt LED floodlight for 24 hours. So that's the kind of things, if you're running one of those off it, it could run for a day. Mm. Like The ability to do this is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the key thing that which they're showing off here is um, that it takes twenty four to forty eight hours for uh, you know for power to be restored in disaster struck area. And um, what they can do is a vehicle like this with its greater ground clearance can come in, and whether it's for providing um, food or medical supply, you know, and equipment operation, or even you know emergency tool operation like a like a jackhammer um it allows that to happen and for a vehicle it it allows it to be a lot more mobile than than other forms of um power generation that have to come in on a truck which can be hard to to maneuver um so yeah it's uh i think it's great uh group great proof of concept and um yeah uh, it, really, when looking at it, it's it's nothing that somebody couldn't do now already. It's just that you know Nissan have shown um, just basically have 
going, hey, this is an idea and probably are trying to find a way to get this sold into into dealers, uh, not dealers, uh, into governments um, mm. in their relief budget as well. So, yeah, but let's uh, let's shuffle on. We've got a couple of more items. Uh, one that has been looming around for a little while and um, we can talk about it a little more once the meeting happens. But um, finally, after many rumours, uh, Volkswagen has addressed and said that, look, they will uh, talk about the um, the fate of Bugatti and Lamborghini in their November meeting. Um, and so, yeah, so basically Volkswagen Group is looking to improve their economies of scale as part of efforts to increase its market value to 200 billion euros, um, which is basically another 78 billion dollars uh, billion euros of the current valuation um, and obviously the issue of emissions which the EU are proposing another 50% reduction by 2030 now obviously Lamborghini and Bugatti are not brands that will help with them <laughs> meeting that carbon emissions particularly on the tra- trajectory which they're on at the moment um, so they're considering um, offloading those brands to essentially other other companies that might be um, wanting to snap up those brands or might be in a better position to, to operate and produce those vehicles now it's understood that um, you know with along with Bentley um, they could be offloading that as well um, and that particularly last month we were talking about how VW may sell Bugatti to, to Rimac um, in return for an increased stake in in that EV now that's a brand that has a lot of other car companies involved and it, it could make sense that Bugatti could go to Rimac and um, all of a sudden the Bugatti turns into a fully electric uh, super sports car obviously there's um Already the Bugatti Chiron and uh, Veyron have hit, I think, a, a, a theoretical limit on what they can do um, with their with their you know combustion technology. And the next step is obviously some form of hybridization or electrification that allows them to to redefine what um what a vehicle of that caliber really is. So. And going an electric Bugatti is the next step, really, you know, in yeah. terms of what they've done, particularly with what Rimac have achieved with their vehicles. Um, yeah, it makes for – look, it makes for interesting interesting reading. And the thing I pick out of that is that if Rimac are then going to give VW a share as a result of it, then is some of the Rimac technology going to arrive into some of the VW products? So, exactly. Um, I think that's what the, what the trade-off is expected to be um, because obviously it can – dramatically reduce the 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 troubles and effort that they have to go to 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 you know electrify the rest of their fleet um and i think that's where perhaps bentley could stick around a little bit longer in volkswagen because if they're able to get to basically trade bugatti for some some of that room act ownership and and technology that might come along with that the access to that um it might allow bentley to also transition to an electrified future. Yeah, a flying spur that's electric. I mean, I think... Oh, I think of the Continental and GT. Like, there's there's so much potential in those vehicles outside of a... There's a lot of potential for that, and I think we're seeing more of that now in terms of... we Again, back to, you know, um, Rivian and their deal with Ford and whatever else that they're doing in terms of their partnerships, the more brands, you know, those that are leading the way in this electrification market, that it makes sense for 
um, to to have these arrangements so that they can you know share technology and make it easier to to create these vehicles and to bring them to market. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's uh, like even the next piece of news that we had is a is a brand called or basically a car called the Dolphin SS, which is um, a, a 1958 Corvette replica, but it's a twist with a plug-in hybrid. It shows that um, the thinking around what the well, – it's it's these brands really waking up and going, look, it's, it's not – the, the brands might not be as tied to the historical engines which they use as much as they potentially thought. Um, you know, the W12 from Bentley, the W16 for Bugatti is that, well, maybe it's not always about that. Maybe it's, uh, you know, they've spent long enough creating and curating what this brand experience is meant to be. Very much like Rolls-Royce, which we were talking about before, where as long as they can keep the the key characteristics of what is expected from that brand, I don't think it will matter what is powering it um, underneath. No. Because, you know, those, I don't think there's probably a lot of people in certain models that are doing long Ks and the ability, again, we're talking about that technology and if you've got your own, you know, solar and, um, and, power walls and the ability with the fast charging system now and then the fast charging system getting bigger and bigger around the world mm-hmm. then you know the more of these brands that wanting to go for this electrification you know setup i think he's you know he's great and we talked about um you know the that company in the in Europe that's taking old rolls and putting all yeah. electric systems in them. The guys from EV West now are now offering you a crate engine Tesla motor that you can buy to add to whatever project you want to you want to add to. I mean the guys from EV have done a heap of stuff in the in the US. One of the first things you see in the the long way up is that um Ewan McGregor is having his V double beetle turned into to electric. Um and you know he's got a whole setup at home of massive solar power system and battery system so he can you know charge that run around you know downtown malibu in in california without without a, a worry in the world so this mm. corvette is another great way of where someone's taken a, an old classic and is then going to put an electric system in it um and you know it's an absolute cruiser when this ev west story broke during the week you know uh, a journal that i follow i think it was someone on twitter said you know they're talking about they tweeted the the ev west crate motor they said well buying something like a lincoln continental um like the one that the guys run in entourage and putting an electric motor mm. in it how cool would that be you could just yeah. just drive around in that full silent and it would just be absolutely brilliant all the benefit of what you want out of that car without the the pains and problems that come associated with running the technology exactly that's behind it um but like even you know the performance in in, in this replica corvette um you know zero to 100 is 4.9 seconds from a 1.5 liter plug-in hybrid um Turbo, like or turbocharged engine, um, where the original 1958 Corvette with the V8 took about eight seconds to do the same thing. Um, so 4.9 or eight seconds, it's it's not even a, a question of compromising performance for the sake of you know going this way. It's actually enhancing that performance. Now the handling is another thing. Um, but yeah, like if it's kind of like going a beach, it's like buying a beach cruiser versus a, a road racing bike. Um, 
I think there's, you know, people are wanting to buy these cars for something slightly different now, or at least realizing, you know, what the original intention was just with uh, kind of like that retro mod kind of approach that we've spoken about that we love so much. Yeah, exactly. And and it's that technology that is, is just so exciting to see what mm. people are doing. Mm. But even looking forward to the future, so the, the Polestar precept um, is actually now officially going into production. So it's a four-seat electric GT, and um, as, a, as a concept car, obviously it created a lot of... Um, a lot of attention and um but yeah good looking car such a good looking car and now they've um they're going to full production which means yeah basically (laughs) you can buy um what is a a good looking but also fairly unique um Mm. sort of vehicle it is very much a product of the future um and I hope that in the production version they can retain that. It is about as long as an S-Class. Um, it uses recycled materials from the, for the interior, from, you know, old, uh, you know, like drinks bottles, uh, reclaimed fishing nets, recycled cork vinyl, um, you know, and a flax-based composite used in the interior and exterior. So I think that, you know, that's a great thing as well, that they're able to actually repurpose a lot of these materials into something that is, a you know, a luxury-orientated electric car i think that's this is what i'm excited about not not sort of the other other because like these are the types of approaches that i really like yeah and it's it's good to see that like that they're turning it and it's just the things about it like the interior the the suicides you know opening up style doors the the fact that they're going down this recycled material thing i mean we saw that when uh land rover did the evoke they were using um you know things like that in some of their interiors and more brands are, are trying to head down that way so yeah it's it's great to see that these kind of concepts are not only being built but then they're being turned into reality yeah and i think that's um you know the difference with these electric car concepts is that they're building these vehicles as basically ready to produce ready to, to sorry ready to produce um you know they are production ready uh, in a lot of parts because the the electrification systems are a lot simpler than producing a you know an internal combustion vehicle where there's a lot more considerations that you have to work around such as um, pedestrian safety. Now they can sort of cut a lot of corners when they do concept vehicles for other ones because they don't have to you know think about that as much but when they start to put in different engine options and you know they're all different sizes left hand drive right hand drive you know there's a lot of considerations to that have to you know have to happen and can influence and change what the concept was all the way through to production where i'm finding that a lot more of these electric vehicle concept cars are remaining closer and closer to you know those um those production vehicles like the you know the i8 is one of those as well where it was really quite close to what the concept car is um just with a couple of you know minor adjustments to to make it a, you know more suitable on the road yeah same with the ls when you know lexus released that as well yeah. uh, not ls lc sorry mm-hmm. um that was the same sort of thing that, that it still original looks concept. like a, a, a concept car to me I yeah still and it's on and it's on the road one. yeah <laughs> that's right 
Um, but no, so yeah, it's it obviously, you know, it's very easy to see like the news that we're talking about. A lot of these vehicles are a hybrid or have some form of hybrid coming. Um you know, even the the MG, they're talking about a lot of their vehicles are going to have a, a hybrid option or electric version. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's it's just where we're going. Audi making that commitment, um, but yeah, it's 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 an exciting time. We're seeing the best of internal combustion vehicles, but also we're seeing the dawn of electric cars, and um, I think that's a pretty good end. Uh, good way to, to end this episode. Um, you know, I do have coming up uh, for a couple of weeks the the Toyota Cobra. Um, model from the CHR hybrid, so that should be a, a good bit of fun to, to yeah, drive. Yeah, we tried to see what the hybrid version of that is like. Yeah, um, and how what the hybrid system's like, whether it's like you haven't driven the Rav, have you? No, no. Yeah, it's, so unfortunately, the car that they had up here was uh, not written off, but damaged extensively by another journo. So it was taken off the uh, press fleet uh, prematurely. So I'm intrigued mm. to see what you think of it and how it's like with you know whether it, if it's a similar system to the uh, Rav's hybrid system, what mm-hmm. you think of it. Have you driven the hybrid Corolla? I have, yes. Okay, so whether you find that it's the same sort of system and mm-hmm. and what it's like what it's like to drive, um, and what kind of economy you get out of it as well. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I'll be um, most curious to to see is that economy because I didn't get as good of economy out of that Corolla hybrid when I drove it a little while ago. I was expecting it to be a little bit better, perhaps a little bit closer to say what my experience was in the Prius C. Um, But yeah, I do remain hopeful with the CHR because it's interesting because I don't see as many hybrid CHRs on the road compared to the regular models. But being so new, I think that's kind of, understandable at the moment is they oh, yeah. starting sometimes to hit I forget. Like sometimes uh, there are some vehicles that I'm a bit slower to get into and some other ones are uh, you know a bit earlier mm. to jump into but yeah I think um, well even saying that I, I wonder now that you as you probably understand um, and a lot of other people understand is that as soon as you drive something you see something you then to start, start seeing it everywhere and um, I wonder if I have that same experience with the hybrid <coughs> Um, or to see, you know, why why people might not be going for the hybrid in that yeah. particular vehicle compared to the others. Um, but yeah, but do you have anything uh, scheduled? You know, perhaps not driving. Mm, not um, at, no, not at this stage. Unfortunately, yeah. um, we're still waiting to see what happens within a couple of weeks. So uh, I don't want to really sort of start putting scheduling into into play uh, until we kind of know that we're definitely opening so that I can um, start booking some stuff in. So, um, but yeah, hopefully over the next couple of weeks we will get closer and maybe if we're looking, you know, like fairly safe. Unfortunately, the thing is, is that I think probably a week before the the big D date for us, I think we'll have an idea if, if things are going to happen. And then mm. uh, I think it might be a bit of a scramble then to, um, because we're supposed to reopen in about two weeks tomorrow um, at this stage. So hopefully, you know, you know, in this time, sort of next week, we might have an idea of where we're at in terms of whether we're looking to be on track. And then I can uh, start reaching out and trying to schedule some stuff in. Oh, well, uh, we'll... Uh... <laughs> 
fingers crossed. We'll just stick to the virtual roads. I think at the moment. Uh, yes, for you. That's the that's the <laughs> non-official doctor's recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> but like if uh, for those of you listening at home, like what we said earlier, if you do want to um, ask us any questions, you can reach out to us via social media, or of course, send us an email shows at dailyautofix.com. Com. Um, don't forget to 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 rate the podcast and um, share it, of course, with your friends. Anybody who who might be interested in keeping up every week of what's going on in the world of automotive. Um, I'm Ash. You can follow everything that I'm doing through Daily Autofix. Jump onto our YouTube channel. We've got some more um, vehicle reviews going up on there as well. So you can just search for Daily Autofix on YouTube and you'll find that. So make sure you subscribe on there. Uh, to follow Joel, you can follow him at Joel Strick Photo. And um, yeah, we'll... Um, We'll see you back here again next week and see. Uh, hopefully, we have a, a great uh, Nurburgring Grand Prix race. Yes, exactly. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Oh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Ash. Speak to you next week. Bye.